Good morning. It's good to have this number out with us for our morning half of our worship service. And if you have your Bibles, be opening up with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Well, before we get to that's where our lesson's going to come from. Of course, we're going to get some more supporting verses, but context is important, so we have to back up a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, actually in verse 7. So as we remember who we are, remember what type of person we ought to be. We made mention of that this morning in our Bible class of Jesus being our example and the lifestyle that we should live or ought to live is a lifestyle unto Jesus. We should look like Christ. We should behave like Christ. We should have compassion on one another like Christ had compassion on those who were around him every single day. So we think about ourselves do we? and we do some reflection or, or uh, measuring ourselves up, if you will. Do you actually look like Christ. Have the things that you have done in your previous unto today, have they done the thing, have you done the things that's pleasing to God? We need to look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves thoroughly and make sure we are pleasing to God. Sometimes change needs to happen. Sometimes some a course correction, if you will, needs to happen. Because once we were in darkness. We was once afar off. We were once strangers, but now, as a child of God, you are in Christ, or you should be. Peter writes to the church, and he says something, something odd, something that doesn't get said today as much. So as we've opened up to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. And then verse 9 starts off with but. But. You or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who, were, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look at verse 10, right there at the end of it. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We think of one of the attributes of God is a, a merciful God. So we have a loving God, a merciful God. We have a just God. We have a, uh, a, a vengeful God. We need to remember all of the characteristics of God. And many of them we can't even fathom. Many of them we can't even comprehend. But here we see God as a merciful God. We'll back up. Imagine that, right? Back up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Have you ever seen something precious in your life before? A newborn child, right? That's about as precious as it can get. I will never forget. I'm going to embarrass Melissa a little bit. I will never forget. It was in this building here at Booth Chapel. We were about to be married. 
And y'all remember the whole scenario of her waiting to the second stanza for her to come out. I was still, I still run her to the ground on that because it was, it was, it was odd. It, it was, it was neat, but it was odd. You had folks in the in the audience get a little nervous, think she done run off. <laughs> but as she walked through those doors, that was the most precious thing I ever laid, ever, ever laid my eyes on. That was my soon-to-be wife, right? Men, did, did your the, did the wife that you have, did, did you feel that preciousness toward her? Right? Hopefully. I see the, the wives look around. Oh, yeah? Really? <laughs> of course, that, that precious person you're fixing to add to yourself, Christ, would exponentially be better than that. Or should be. To you who believe, he is precious. That that, that definition of precious should be like that newborn child, right? Or that, that brand new union between a man and a wife, something that's precious, something that's out there, something that's, that's different, that's better. How precious is Christ to us? We make mention of our prayers to ourselves when we sin. When we fall short, we know we have that disconnection. Isaiah 59 2 teaches us that. That our sins and our iniquities separates us from God. So if Christ is so precious to us, why do we sin? We sing a wonderful song. Why do we sin? Satan is a powerful being. He's, he's a very powerful being. He's no, not compared to God. He's, he's, he's not that powerful. But when it comes to us, Satan's powerful. He custom tailors those sins, those, those wants, those wishes that we have, even to Jesus Christ. He custom tailored those temptations to him. I was thinking about this the, the, on, on the way home the other day when folks put eating above God. That happens. Unfortunately, that happens. Remember whatever, whenever... Christ had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry whenever Satan tempted him, right? He had fasted for 40 days. And the first thing that Satan said, in his mind, Satan, he says, I know he's hungry, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use that against him. He's, they told Jesus, just command these stones to become bread and eat. Folks, something that does not happen enough today, the feeding on God's Word. It doesn't happen enough. If Jesus is so precious to us, how often are we feeding off of his word? Because Jesus says this after he says, after Satan says, just command these stones to become bread and eat, be filled. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. That's how we get life. By feeding on his word. And I know this term has gotten a bad rap. But there is a lot of ignorance going on in the world according to God's word. That is a lack of knowledge. That's the word ignorance means. If Christ is so precious to us, we should be that royal priesthood as made mention to us in verse 9. But those who have stumbled, have that, Christ has become that rock of offense or a stumbling stone. But you, God's people, or a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We know what that term holy means, right? It means to be set apart. 
This nation has been set apart that God has created in His Son has been set apart from any other nation that has ever been created. His own special people. This verse just popped into my mind. Turn back with me to Revelation. <clears throat> Chapter 21, verse 3. Now this is God's promise as all things will be made new. When those will be found in the book of life, hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been a faithful over a few things and I will make you a master over many. You stand before God, pure, whole, and justified with your faithful observance to the word. Here's what he says. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Did you hear what John just said? Today we can see parts of God. We can see his beauty. We can see his creation. We can see the blessings. There are some blessings that we can't even see. On this day, after Judgment Day, when eternity starts, when time ceases to exist, God will be with his people. You will be able to see him just as he is. I hope that's enough motivation. Of course, verse 4, God will wipe away their tears, no sorrow, no, sorrow, no death, no, no destruction. None of that exists anymore in heaven. Folks, that's in heaven. But Peter refers to a, an iniquitous people, does he not? Right before he concerned, he, he tells that he's concerned with those folks, but he tells those who are obedient, you're a royal priesthood. You're a set-apart nation. God's Special people. We look back to the Old Testament and refer back to the, the, the house of Israel under the Mosaic law. Yes, they were God's people. Did they rebel? Yes, they did. Did God punish them? punish them? Yes, he did. Did they turn around and God restore them? Yes, they did. And yes, he did. Time and time and over again, we see... Israel, the Israelites just disobeying God and coming back. Disobeying God and coming back. God rebuking them and restoring them. Rebuking them and restoring them. We see that over and over. We see a cycle. That cycle happens today, unfortunately. But it's an option. It's an option. Because we were once in darkness. Again, we were once afar off. Strangers. Not fellow workers in Christ. But we came to the knowledge of the truth. We came adherent or being or being followings of God's commandments, adherence to his commands, doing those things God would have us to do. You know what one of those things are? When you fall short, I didn't say if, I said when. When you fall short, when you sin, when you disobey God, do those things that's displeasing in his eyes, he restores you when you come back. When you Repent of that sin when you confess that sin and when you ask for forgiveness. Folks, he restores us. 
So how important is it to be obedient to God? And most important, to be His special people. Now someone who is outside of His covenant relationship, someone who is outside of Him, someone who sins and actively sins and who is dead in sin. Well, they are not God's people at all. Christ says that plainly in Matthew 7, verse 23. Also verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now I want you to, I want to ask a question. Do you know what the, what the will of God is for you? Do you know what God would have you to do today? It's to be obedient unto his commands. Follow his instructions. Be pure and whole and justified. I like that word, justified. On judgment day. God gave up a lot. It, it cost him a lot for you to have an opportunity of salvation. Do you know what that was? Himself. Jesus Christ was a deity. He was one-third God. God took on something he hates. When Jesus Christ died... He was wearing your sins. So you don't have to be guilty of them on judgment day. So with that being said, now verse 10, who were once, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, going from being dead, being in darkness, now being alive and light. Not children of light. We're going to refer back to that, so keep that into your minds. So as a child of light has a specific order of instructions. Christ gave those instructions in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The Great Commission applies to you and I to go out into the world. To be encouraged of those who are lost. To bring them to God. To create those disciples. To baptize them. To immerse them for the remission of sins. And then teach them all the things that God teaches us to share in the gospel. That is a duty for a child of life. But now, a people who had not obtained mercy, mercy was out of, was out of our grasp as a child of God. Mercy is now available. It's available. By putting Christ on Galatians 3.27, and living out our lives as faithful children of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. So again, I asked you to do a, an evaluation, if you will, of yourself. If there was a mirror standing before you, who do you look like? There's either one or two answers to that. I know you say, well, I look like myself. Well, who do you really look like? You need to look like Christ. Going back to that, something that's precious. That's that newborn infant, right? The reason why I keep using that, we've had a, a, a very recent addition to the Mitchell family. My little brother has a, has a, a little, little newborn boy, Atticus. And could you imagine holding that infant with his whole life in front of us, right? How much joy is that? How much, how precious is that? When you're faithful to God and you're adherence and you're following His commands, you're that infant. You're that preciousness.
Sometimes sin gets in the way, though, unfortunately. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Previous to this, uh, Paul is writing about, the, uh, about sin, about what it does for mankind, for Christ coming into the world, and condemning sin, being a... Well, what's the thought? I just, I just lost my thought. <clears throat> Christ coming to the world to have our sins remitted, but sin was already in the world. Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, sin was brought into the world. Mankind was separated from God, and they, they needed to come back to it. They needed some justification to happen. So chapter 6, verse 1, asked, Paul asked the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So the way, that's an odd place to start. Well, back up to verse 20. Verse 20 is the thought whenever Paul is saying, hey, there's more grace than there is sin in the world. <clears throat> Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So we see God having more grace than there is sin in the world. Going back to that precious child, that precious, that Jesus being that most precious thing that you can ever possess, right? That wanted to be that royal priesthood, that, that special people. But when sin enters in, we're no longer special. That preciousness gets tainted. It's, it's, it's no longer precious anymore. But grace can remove that sin. The grace, the grace of God can do that. By the grace of God, your sin can be remitted through Jesus Christ. And back to the question in, in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's help God out by sinning more. That's a silly thought whenever Paul says that. Certainly not. He actually yells it out. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Whoa, you mean to tell me I died to sin when I became a child of God? Yes. Yes, you gave up the world. You gave up the world. We do realize we can't be a friend of the world. In, doing, in trying to become a friend of the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. Don't do that. Don't become an enemy of God. Become his friend. Like Jesus said, those who are know what I'm doing and hear it to me, become my friend. He calls you friends. So we died to sin. We can't live any longer in it. That's, try, that's like trying to resurrect old Jeremy and say, I'm part of him. Well, no, I don't want any partakers of him because he's lost. How many of us want to be lost on judgment day? Of course not. Definitely not. So as we know that we have died to sin, let's go back a little bit further to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Actually starting in verse 13 all the way down to 16. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall, we, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Again, once a royal nation, once a royal priesthood, once God's special people but when tried to live back in sin again, salt becomes loses its, loses its flavor, becomes worthless. You are the light of the world, in verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Again, children of light, right? When you're out there in the world as a child of God, as that royal priesthood, as that special people, how are you behaving? What are you talking about? Are you encouraging people to come come out of their sins to, to stop being disobedient to God and come unto Him? Matthew chapter 128, verse 18, and actually verse 19. Go! He's talking to His disciples. Go! Get out there! Go teach about me! Go spread the word! Here, whenever in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15, He's telling His disciples... To be seen. That was a difficult saying then. In this time. To go be seen. What was Jesus Christ fixing to do? Right? And, and as, as he's talking to these folks. His disciples soon to be apostles. And some of them disciples are going to lead as well. What does he tell them? He doesn't go out into the world. What's he fixed to do? He's fixing to be crucified for these teachings. He is. Those Jews wanted him gone. They wanted his teachings to stop. So he's telling his disciples, go out there in the world and be seen. Teach the gospel. No one lighting a lamp. Nobody puts a, put, lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. In doing so, you're defeating the purpose of lighting the lamp. Might catch the basket on fire. No pun. Well, that's pun intended, right? But put it on the lampstand so that the light can be seen. We need to be those children of light. If we are that special people, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, folks need to let our little light shine. And in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You ever told somebody thanks? You ever told somebody thank you for anything, right? Why'd you tell them thanks? Did you appreciate what they did? Well, of course, why you said thanks. I know a lot of times it's like a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, thank you very much. No, yes, that comes from an internal conscious decision by saying, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate what you have done. Thank you. Do you appreciate what God has done for you? Do you appreciate what God has done for you? I hope so. He has allowed an access to Him for you. He allowed that access to, to heaven through His Son. So as we are those children of light, if we're that royal priesthood, that chosen generation, give, dying to sin, living, living unto God, casting off the works of sin, know the devil, we want the devil to be our enemy, not our adversary. We want God our adversary. Of course we don't want God our enemy results in condemnation. Being the friend of Satan results in condemnation. Verse 16 does tell us to let our light shine before men so that they may see our good works. Notice what, what the very next statement is said. That your Father in heaven be glorified. That's like telling God, thank you. 
for what you've done for me. As we're actively working, as folks in the community see that we're different, see that we're holy, see that we're set apart from themselves, they say, hey, they're a little bit different. They don't do the things that I do. They don't, they don't participate. They, they speak up whenever things are going wrong. When, when, I, when I'm speaking this foul language, they say something. I hope we do say those things because it's important to let them know those things are wrong in the eyes of God. Letting our little light shine. To say God, to tell God, thank you. We don't tell him thank you enough. Unfortunately, we don't. Let this be an encouragement. Our good works, the things that we do to help folks through their, through their spiritual lives, to help them to get to God, or help folks to stay in God, or come back to God. We're telling God, thank you. We're glorifying so my encouragement the rest, to the rest of our lives, continue to tell God thank you by our faithful service. To know that you are that set apart people. Because on, after judgment day, if you stand pure, whole, and justified, justification needed because of sin, after that, if, you, if, if God says, well done, <laughs> you're going to see him. You're going to be with him for the rest of your eternity. I almost said life. It will be life. But notice when we started this lesson. Folks have rebuked God. Folks have turned their backs on Him. Folks have... Jesus Christ has become that, that rock of offense or stumbling block. And there's going to be some lost folks on Judgment Day. There may be some lost folks in the audience this morning. Give up those sins. Turn away from them. Tell Satan, I want nothing to do with you. Be back in service to God. To glorify Him. Asking Him for forgiveness. Confessing that sin. Does that need to happen this morning? Are you in darkness right now? Needing to come to the light? You need to be baptized or, or immersed for the remission of sins if you're hearing this lesson and say, Hey, I don't have Christ. If you continue on reading in Romans chapter 6, time constrained, we can't because it says a lot. But if you continue on reading, you learn about baptism. You learn about being buried with him. Not sprinkled, not splashed, but buried, immersed for the remission of sins. That's how you put Christ on. That's how you become this royal priesthood that we're talking about. But you may have fallen away. You might, you might have been like that prodigal son. You're off in the far distance. You may have become a stranger again. Well, come back. Stop sinning. Put your best foot forward to serve God in your everyday walk of life. And I don't mean just on Sunday morning. I mean every day. Sunday night, Wednesday evening, a Thursday night. It's every day. So my encouragement this morning, if you are outside of Christ, if you're not even partaking of this royal priesthood, and if you've let your little lights dwindle, Let's, let's, let's trim that lamp or trim that candle so it can burn brighter this morning by getting rid of the sins of our life and coming back to God. Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing a song of invitation?